Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Thursday, January 9, 2020. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and I want to start with Norlander's total disrespect for Bill Self, Yadoka Azabuki, James Naismith, Josh Selby, Wilt Chamberlain, Darnell Jackson, Sasha Khan, Kirk Heinrich, Julian Wright, Tyshawn Taylor, Danny Manning, Keep Drew Goodman, Charlie T. Black, Charlie B. Black, Frank Mason, Jacques Vaughn, JoJo White, Mario Chalmers, Gail Gordon, Wayne Simeon, Perry Ellis, Kelly Oubre, Paul Pierce, LeGerald Vick, Rafe LaFrance, Keith Langford, and Isaiah Moss. Just a complete lack of respect for Kansas and the history of Kansas basketball, you might have seen it. Dead Leg Norlander publishes power rankings on Thursday, and he has Kansas, the KU Jayhawks, seventh in the country, even after they effed Iowa State in the face on Wednesday night by 26 points to improve to 12-2 and two with five quadrant one victories. Lone losses on the resume are away from home losses to Duke and Villanova by a total of three points, and yet Deadleg Norlander still has six teams ranked in front of Kansas. Deadleg, explain yourself to me, these listeners, plus Russell Robinson, assuming Russell Robinson is listening right now. Why are you so disrespectful to Kansas? Dead arm Parrish. How's that arm holding up for you there, okay? Dead arm Parrish. Hey, did Michael Lee get any love there? Did I get? Did I miss out on a Michael Lee, Lee shout out? I have Charlie T. Back Black and Charlie B. Black. You didn't have, ta- didn't you have, you didn't have Tarek Black. I didn't have Tarek Black. You didn't have Tarek Black. Black. Did I get either perfect. Morris Twin in there? I think I I considered having Xavier Henry. He's not going to get any love. Dude, trust me. I I looked at all these names today. On my, on my flight home. I don't I even think you mentioned Devontae Graham. I did not mention What are Devontae you doing? Graham. Do you want to start? Do you want to, apolo- do you want to apologize to these Kansas legends who you just snubbed at the top of this podcast? I, I listen. I could barely get through that entire list. <laughs> you can only select so many KU legends. I selected the ones that made me giggle when I saw their names, and then in the spirit of. I didn't get an opportunity to do a Politex column earlier this week because the AP won't release their ballots in a timely manner anymore. I decided I would take aim at Norlander's power rankings where he has Kansas, which is arguably the best team in the country, seventh in his power rankings. Explain yourself, uh, dead leg. Sure. Svee McKaylick deserves so much better, though. Um, So I'll take the Politex treatment. I got no issue with that whatsoever. But... Uh, the power rankings do not operate like a bracketology or like how you do your polls. So, do you have my power rankings in front of you right now? No, I, I, I blocked them from my computer. Oh, I didn't okay. ever want to see them again. Okay. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, all right. Number one is Duke. Duke, which ranks number one in basically every predictive metric at this point, And Duke, which has not lost a game uh, dating back to November, is number one. Number two is Gonzaga. Um, Gonzaga, which is not as treated as kindly, relatively speaking, in the predictive metrics, but Gonzaga, nevertheless 16-1, has not lost a game since November. Number three is San Diego State, which has not lost a game. Number four is Auburn, which has not lost a game. Number five is Baylor, which has not lost a game since November 8th against Washington. And number six is Butler, who only has one loss. That came against Baylor, and that came on December 10th. And then you get to Kansas at 7. Kansas, which has two losses, 
more than anyone else on the list, and by far the most recent loss of any other school. So the power rankings, as I assemble them, have a recency bias. They are, in effect, a hot list, a trend list, a how have you looked, how have you played over your past four, five, six, seven games overall, not what you did and what you look like two months ago, et cetera, et cetera. That is why the Kansas Jayhawks are seven in the power rankings. If you had me assemble them uh, tip to tail, soup to nuts, where I think they are as a team overall in advance of this big-time game, on Saturday, Parrish is stripping as I am doing this. <laughs> what in the dark? You're a vampire stripper. I would have Kansas as a top uh, top four team in the sport, no doubt about it. So that's well, that's how it all shakes out. I will accept your explanation uh, uh, of recency bias, but then remind you the most recent thing Kansas did, did is beat Iowa State by uh, beat Iowa State by 26 inside Hilton Coliseum, and Iowa State is a seven and seven team. So, I mean, that's fine. That's all fine and dandy, but, and they've been good. They're top seven. They've been good, but they, and, you know, the loss is understandable against Villanova, but it is a loss. So I'm going to ding you for that overall. Now, I will say this Kansas beats Baylor on Saturday. If that happens, that's going to put KU probably fourth minimally because I would, I would, I would vault. KU over Auburn probably in almost any scenario in that case and certainly over Baylor because Baylor would have lost and they'll have tumbled down. Let me ask you a serious question. How many of the teams you have in front of Kansas do you think would be 12-2 and two against Kansas' schedule? Um, That's a good cue. Kansas has played a really solid schedule and I don't, by the way, I don't discriminate against schedule. So that should be, I should bring that in because that when you're doing that basically, you're then, you know, in part doing bracketology-ish type of stuff and, you know, I leave that to Palm's uh, sandbox to play in there. So, um, I think, man, I tell you what, 12 and 2, I, I, Given the strength of, I don't know, twelve and two, I would not put it past Baylor at this point. Given how good Baylor's schedule has been, and it only has one loss, I think it's conceivable Duke would have that, and I think it's Gonzaga. I think those three, I think you can reasonably say, could be twelve and two against Kansas's schedule. Don't know if I quite go there with Butler. Maybe not there with San Diego State, and definitely not there with Auburn because Auburn has. Uh, has the least lack of lead opponent so far. Yeah, I'll just run you through it real quick. Uh, Twelve and two record, five quadrant one wins. That is more than anybody else in the country at this moment. They've got wins over uh, Dayton, which is number fifteen right now. West Virginia, which is number seventeen right now. Colorado, which is number twenty-five right now. That's in the AP poll. Only losses, like I mentioned, to Duke and Villanova away from home by a combined three points. They are right now the Kansas Jayhawks, number one in the net. Number one in Torvik, number two at Ken Palm, number two at Sagarin, number two in the top 25 and one, and number seven in the Norlander. That's right. They are. You know what? <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to zag when you zig. And just on a side note, I think this kind of thing is, can be healthy as uh, Ken Pomeroy himself uh, tweeted in some discourse with you earlier this week and that um, it's probably a good thing for college basketball that we don't have – true conformity like the purpose of the poll attacks they do serve a real purpose and whatever's going on there they got to get that in line the the voter ballots need to be public so uh would love to know the real story behind that but 
Uh, we can't have that kind of situation. I hope that your column has not led for that to happen. But it is good to occasionally get opposing arguments and not just have all of this falling, you know, straight step in line. It's why, if you really, you know, burrow down here, this is why the selection committee, uh, when it opted to retool its its selection and seating process, even though it has a net sorting tool, um, there are still references to Sagarin and KPI and Ken Palm and Strength of Record and BPI on the team sheets because they want you pulling from different stuff. So in the event that you do have, and this isn't even voter opinion, this is just you know, either results-based opinion or predictive metrics. If it's saying one team is the third best and another team is the ninth best, it's allowing you to take in different information, which is ultimately healthier for, for not just discourse, but I think, uh, you know, analysis and evaluation. I think, I, I can't tell you for sure. We haven't talked about this on the podcast at all, but we were tweeting, a bunch of us were tweeting about it on Monday night. Um, they, the, the AP, for whatever reason, has stopped releasing the ballots, uh, a, a, you know, when the poll is released. The poll comes out. Uh, Monday afternoon-ish, early afternoon. And for as long as I can remember, the ballots would be released at roughly the same time, if not the exact same time. And then collegepolltracker.com. And I should give those guys a shout out because without them, I genuinely couldn't do the column because they sort through all the ballots. And it, it says that, you know, uh, whoever, uh, Michigan is this high on one ballot, this low on one mm -hmm. ballot. You can click on Michigan. It shows you where everybody voted Michigan. It, 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 it is the, it makes doing that column much easier than it otherwise would be. I don't think I would have the time to do it without college poll trackers. So shouts to those guys, but they would always have it updated within like an hour of, of the poll coming out. And then on Monday afternoon or Monday night, I would dive in and then I'd write that column. And then we'd all laugh at some AP voter who just was not paying attention. So, in the past two weeks, they have not released the ballots until the next day. And so they have released them, but just 24 hours later? Or or 30 hours later or 34 hours later. But but like at some point Tuesday, they are releasing them. And I can't say that it's because of the Politex column. All I can say is that the Politex column has goofed on AP voters now for years. And it is a – there's no other – explanation I can think of of why they can't release the ballots the way they've always released the ballots uh, unless it's an attempt to to not have me immediately crap on their poll or at least one uh, AP poll voter and so what has happened now and I like we, we could talk about this off there but I'll just talk about it here transparency and all that does that column still work on Tuesday, it doesn't have its same effect. It, there is something about the, the yeah, the, the coming out on Monday, even if it's a three, four, five hour delay, whatever. Um, it's it's part of the Monday college basketball news cycle. Once you have then by that time, you're getting new rankings, teams playing Monday night, and then finding out what the afternoon, you know, hours before the Tuesday games tip. It just it doesn't have the same kind of tension. It, it I, I agree. It doesn't it doesn't seem like it matters anymore. Not and perhaps it doesn't matter at all. But on Monday, the polls come out and I don't care how many people say they don't care about the polls. I don't care about the poll. people talk about them and people tweet about them. And then if you can immediately or not immediately, but within hours say, hey, here's this dumb thing I found in the poll that came out today. Well, that's the way that column was created. But if you do it a day later, it's like, oh, geez, like, who cares? We, we're through. We're, we're done talking about the eight new AP poll. I don't care about it anymore. And then beyond that, just on a personal level, I don't have time to do it on Tuesday. <laughs> like when I wake up on Tuesday, yeah. I'm, I'm uh, doing the top 25 and one Then I'm, uh, you know, prepping for a radio show, doing a radio show, doing multiple radio interviews on other shows and then going into studio 
uh, CBS Sports Network to be there till 1.30 in the morning. Like I, like, I wonder if they had figured out my schedule. And they said, you know what? If we release this on Tuesday afternoon, he has no time to write a column on Tuesday afternoon. Therefore, the Polytax column is done. I wonder if they've undermined me, Norlander. They did. I think you are uh, you are the, the the victim of an of an undermine attempt here. Hopefully, they can get it back to where it was. But yes, this has and it has been, by the way, since we have gotten into the new year. Notice that it's since it's been 2020. This has been the issue there. So, what else does the plot thicken? The mystery deepen? We must find out. What are they up to at the Associated Press? What are they up to? You know, <laughs> you know, the late, great Jim O'Connell would not have stood for this. That's all I know. Ock would not have allowed the Politex column to be undermined in this way. So perhaps we'll get an answer. Like Basketball Times wants to talk to me about the Politex column for, for something they're working on. So I'm going to talk to them, I, I think, tomorrow, our friend John Akers. So uh, maybe we'll get to the bottom of it. Hopefully the ballots will be released in a timely manner uh, this upcoming Monday so I can get back to, in the kindest way possible, uh, goofing on people who just do not pay attention to the sport they have signed up to pay attention to. Um, but, uh, yeah, in all seriousness, if you haven't checked out Norlander's power rankings, go check them out. We can disagree on where Kansas ought to be. And I thought that would be a fun way to maybe like start it. this thing, particularly after, you know, Kansas did win by 26 at Iowa state and you're right. Iowa state's not good, but that's the worst loss for Iowa state at home in like the past 17 seasons. I mean, that was, Jeez. and it wasn't just, they lost by 26, like Kansas had them down 31 with four minutes to go. So it was a total beat down. And regardless of what any of the computers say or records say, uh, the bottom line would be this. Kansas looks like a legitimate national title contender. I guess that should not be a surprise. They were that on paper in the preseason, but they're really operating at a high level right now. We will get back to them when we get to the final four and one. North Carolina lost again on Wednesday night, so things are messy in Chapel Hill. We're going to get into that next, but first, check this out. The world of golf is on hiatus, but thankfully for you, the First Cut podcast crew is not. Join Mark Immelman, Kyle Porter, Greg Ducharme, and myself, Rick Gaiman, as we keep you informed and entertained through this unprecedented time. No tournament, no problem. We're still coming at you three times a week during these trying times. Tune in as we bring you weekly news, rewatches, interviews, and trivia. What are you waiting for? Come join our group and let's talk golf. Download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else podcasts are found. There are no sports going on right now. None. I never imagined times like this happening, but here we are. And because we're all in this together, nothing personal with David Sampson carries on. We will carry on every Monday through Friday. We will keep breaking down this widespread and lasting impact of the coronavirus and provide updates and insight on these unprecedented events. I mean, in my 18 years as president of a Major League Baseball team, I saw some crazy stuff but nothing quite like COVID-19. It's brought the live sports world to its knees. And I promise to decode the BS in sports, and that's never been more true than right now. You need to know what's happening. Download and subscribe to the Nothing Personal with David Sampson podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever else podcasts are found. And remember, it's just business. It's nothing personal. So it was another rough night at the Dean Smith Center on Wednesday. Tar Heels, who were ranked ninth 
in the preseason AP poll, lost to Pitt. Final score, Jeff Capel, 73, Roy Williams, 65. So UNC's now 8-7 and seven overall, 1-3 and three in the ACC. They've dropped seven of their past 10 games. They're now 2-4 and four without Cole Anthony with losses at home to Wofford, Georgia Tech, and Pitt, which means USC has taken in the past month three losses at home to teams unlikely to make the NCAA tournament. They're down to number 70 at Ken Palm. They're 106th in the net. Norlander, have you officially pulled the plug on UNC's tournament hopes? Oh, uh, yeah, D- without a doubt. Uh, ACC's down. Here's the problem is uh, even when or if Cole Anthony comes back, he's awesome. They get on the right track. It's not inconceivable that they make a run, but the ACC is actually so poor. In fact, team rank- Jason Lisk of Team Rankings did a projection earlier this week of every conference and how many bids it should be expected to get at this point, projecting to mid-March. And the ACC is sitting there at like 4.7. So not even on the better half of five. Uh, I think five is going to wind up being the number. Issue being... Um, Carolina is not going to be able to pile up a lot, and it's still going to take on losses, so season's done. Trivia time! Okay, let's go! Okay. This is a putrid season for for North Carolina. It's not the worst in school history. Um, How good is... Well, your memory is horrid, actually. Um, But, like, do you... How much recollection do you even have of the indisputed worst season ever, which was 0-1-0-2... Under Matt Doherty, they went eight and twenty that season. Like I can remember, I was you know I was in college at that point. Uh, I remember just I have I have visions and memories of uh, just everyone just destroying Matt Doherty uh, and and Carolina and very much a sky is falling uh, narrative, if you will, around that because that also coincided with remember the Duke teams a few years before that. One the year before it won a title, but Duke had been awesome, awesome, and just stud after stud. Then you started having like uh, William Avery and and uh, Luol Dang and um, Elton Brand, like one and done guys, kind of getting into Duke at that point. So it coincided with that. I remember it being just the darkest of dark clouds over UNC at that point. Do you have any sort of memory uh, or you know recollection of you know the worst of the worst? You know, eighteen years ago with UNC, or is it kind of a fog all these years later? everything is a fog all these years later. I I don't remember anything about it other than I know that it happened. And I remember, you know, after Matt left North Carolina, he was, I think the head coach at SMU. Yeah. And then, so he was in, I want to say conference USA at the time. Yes. That would have been where they were. Yeah. And in the same league as Memphis and I was covering Memphis. So I was around him a little bit then. And then when I got the job at CBS, I actually went down to, um, uh, SMU and spent some time with him. And, um, now he, 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 you know, then he worked in, in the NBA for a minute, I believe. And, and then he's, he now works in, uh, with the Atlantic 10 and I'm the MC of a 10 media day. Oh, so you are. I, I, I've, so I've spent a lot of time with Matt over the years, and I've talked to him about his time at North Carolina. So the, 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 whatever I remember, I probably remember it from conversations with him looking back more so than I remember it in real time. Here's the trivia time, our long-winded winding road to get there. There have been 110 seasons of North Carolina Tar Heels men's college basketball, including this one. Um, how not including the current one though? How many times do you think UNC has finished a season sub 500 overall? I'd say that's probably happened six times, Norlander. It's not a bad guess. It has happened 
10 times, only three times when UNC has been a member of the ACC. The 0-1-0-2 season when they were 8-20. That happened in 54-55 when they went 10-11. And, and uh, 61-62, they were 8-9. and nine. Dean Smith was the coach that season, by the way. 8-9 and nine in 1961-62. Pretty wild. Uh, schedules were right, very different back then. Um, they had some sub-500 seasons during the, the darkest of the dark days, the, the, the teens, 1911, 1912, 1912, 13, 14, 15. Uh, legends such as Nat Cartmel, Chick Doak, Fred Boy, your boy, coaching uh, Carolina back then. So we are in danger here of UNC having uh, a sub-500 season overall, and that is you know a rarity, obviously less than 10% of the time in program history. And... I don't believe Roy Williams has ever, because it's Williams, Jim Beheim, and I don't know who else. There's not that many who have uh, coached, you know, 10 plus seasons in men's division one and never had a sub 500 record, uh, a sub 500 season, I should say. Uh, Roy Williams is now in danger of that, especially if they don't get Cole Anthony back. The thing people don't remember about that eight and nine season under Dean Smith is that they were very close very close that season to pulling the plug on Dean Smith and replacing him with two-year-old Tony Hinkle. No, t- Tony Hinkle, listen, I knew exactly where you were going with that. So at that point, I'm going to break it. At that point, <laughs> Tony Hinkle is 50, okay? Oh, wow, okay. We're talking, he's he's a good, he's, he's 50 years old, and uh, that season, uh, that was what, 61-62, so 61-62, Tony Hinkle's – I mean, he's deep into a Butler career that began in the t- mid-20s. Tony Hinkle, 52 years old, we'll call him. 26-15 and 15 for Butler. Uh, look at – no, 28-22. and 22, No, 22-6. and six, 28 games total, 22-6. and six. NCAA – how about that? That same season, the worst season in Carolina history under Dean Smith, was the only time Butler made the NCAA tournament under Tony Hinkle. Look at the, look that? at this podcast, man! Look at the synergy, the full circleness coming back around. They could have used fifty-year-old Tony Hinkle, UNC, back in that day. I'll tell you that much. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. I lived through it. Um, do you think Cole Anthony's going to come back to this? I I do. I don't want to make this kind of like a weekly speculation kind of thing, but I do think he's going to come back. Uh, he has played in practices. I know. The season's swirling down the drain here. I get all of that. Um, but with the obvious caveat, GP, like if he's cleared to come back, I think he's going to get back on the floor. Because I also think he might he might look at uh, as it as it, like a true opportunity to maybe go from the fourth pick to the second pick. Like maybe that's still kind of out there from a draft perspective. I don't find any of these guys locked into their spots at this point. Um, so I think so. And... Um, since you brought that up real quick, and we don't have to like spend 10 minutes on this, uh, the fact that Zion Williamson said on J.J. Reddick's podcast earlier this week, like I wonder if this kind of thing you know, gets back to Cole, and even even if like there's a debate in his mind about this, it, it makes him say, you know what, no, like I want to get out there and play. Because Zion Williamson said, I decided I was returning. I told my mother I was coming back to school, and she was she was good with it. And then my stepdad talked with her, and then Mike Krzyzewski came back around again and said, kiddo, you have to go. You cannot return to college basketball when you're going to be the number one pick in tens of millions of dollars that your future are at stake here. 
I thought it was refreshingly honest from Zion Williamson. And I also had a thought earlier today that was, can you imagine how unbearable this season would have been if Zion Williamson opted to return? That would have been an incredible story. But let's say for whatever reason, like he hurts his knee, not because he, you know, tweaks it during an NBA preseason practice, but a Duke preseason practice, and he's like never played a game at Duke. I mean, it'd be the most insufferable season ever, right, Parrish? We'd go from this incredible story of Zion Williamson coming back the way that he wanted to do it and blowing away all expectations, and then he gets injured, and he's like out indefinitely. I, th- we would be all dead from the magma and after fumes of every volcano, take volcano that would have gone off for Zion Williamson to have passed up his pro career, returned to college. And if, if, if he had hurt himself the way uh, he has, you know, while a member of the Pelicans, that's all. At least then the hot takes would have been rooted in some more sensible, traditional sensible stuff. Like, I don't think it would be crazy if Zion Williamson, the guaranteed number one pick in the draft, came back to school, then got hurt for people to say, this is why you couldn't come back to school. Like he he left $75 million in Nike money on the table. He was the guaranteed number one pick, so that contract on the table. I don't think it's crazy to then say, at that point, it doesn't really matter what your heart wants you to do from a business perspective. You've got to go to the NBA. The issue I took with people screaming about him when he went got hurt in his freshman season was like they were asking him to quit a national championship contender midseason. Like the people don't do that. Yeah. I know James Wiseman just did it, but like he's far as I know, literally the only college basketball player who has ever done that before. Uh, strictly they like, quit the team strictly to focus on the NBA draft midseason, um, particularly when you're healthy. So I thought it was a bit over the top for people to scream, Zion should quit Duke in February because he was a part of a team and he wanted to be a part of that team and he wanted to try to be national player of the year and win a national championship. Um, if he would have come back to school and then got hurt, I, I didn't think all of the stuff you'd hear on first take and anywhere else would be at least more sensible. We could agree to disagree on the subject, but I don't think it would be outlandish to then go on television and suggest uh, Zion Williamson should not have been a sophomore in college. Yeah, that's that's all fine, but I, I'm just glad we're not living in that uh, alternate universe because it just would have been, oh my goodness, can you imagine? Just like, but on the other hand, if he had ret- if he had opted to return, stayed healthy, and was still healthy. Uh, Duke would be the unquestioned best team. Like they're not losing to Stephen F. Austin. Like Duke would be so far and away clearly the best team in America. But that's you know I know I, I know Duke fans probably just uh, couldn't help but bite their knuckles when they heard Zion say that. I I found it refreshing for him to be that honest because if you heard like the quote got passed along, but I listened to the audio of Zion talking with JJ on that and like heartfelt, genuine, truthful, honest. Like, you believe him when he's saying, he's like, no, I said I was coming back. We were at the deadline. I wanted to return. I told him that I was going to do that. And then in the 11th hour, then I had the people around me convince me. I was like, okay, I guess I just, I got to go then and I got to go. And so here we are. If you remember back after the season, before he officially declared for the draft, there were some speculation that he might not, um, might not remain in the draft. I think it might have been after the Pelicans locked up the number one pick. Yes. And there was some thought that, you know what, if he doesn't want to be in New Orleans, he might just go back to school. And I can remember talking to people around the program then. I'll just keep it vague. And they were like, he's not coming back to school. Like, you know, they, they shot it down pretty quickly. Like, they weren't, I can tell you the staff was not holding out hope that Zion Williamson was going to be a sophomore 
uh, in college, and obviously he's 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 not. So that's that. The wrap it back, uh, circle it back to Cole Anthony real quick. The only reason I asked you what I asked you is because I can't help but think, and we've talked about this briefly before, uh, that he could theoretically, and this will ultimately be a decision he and his father and and family will have to make. But he could theoretically treat the rest of this North Carolina season the way college football players treat bowl games that aren't in the college football playoff. Like a Clemson football player who's projected to go in the top 10 doesn't sit out the bowl game because the bowl game is part of the college football playoff. You are playing for a national championship. But if Clemson wasn't in a college football playoff situation, instead, just like in the Birmingham Bowl for some reason, well, then the top 10 pick would probably choose to sit that out. Uh, Cole Anthony is, if we can agree, North Carolina is not going to get to the NCAA tournament. Cole Anthony would be returning to a team headed to the Birmingham Bowl, and you wonder yeah. if you if you if it's worth doing that. Again, I won't criticize him if he does it. I won't criticize him if he doesn't. It, it makes sense either way, but I do think that's probably something that's that's seeping into his his head a little bit. Like it's one thing to come back and rejoin a, a top ten team you know, headed to the NCAA tournament. It's another thing to come back and, and join a team that's now ranked outside of the top 100 uh, in the net rankings. Let's get to the final four and one. If you're keeping up, uh, the current standings are as follows. Norlander, first place, 24-20-1. and one. I'm in second, which doubles as last, last place. Last, last, just say last. There we go. At last place, 18-26-1. By the way, we did have people check the previous oh, podcast. We ever? <laughs> Lots of people. Like, people as in, like, 37 of them saying no no and they were they were they were kind-hearted about it they're like give Parrish his due he did pick west virginia to cover it was a different game that you guys disagreed on so i did account for that after the fact shouts to you you did make the you did make the the winning pick there and so uh, onward we march here okay what are we going first here all right. The way it works is I I uh, pick out four games and then we pick them against the spread. The spread provided by Kim Palm because point spreads aren't out yet. And um, then Norlander gets to pick the N one game. We'll take them in chronological order. Saturday noon Eastern. It's number eleven Ohio State at Indiana inside Assembly Hall. You can watch it on Fox. Ohio State is minus three, according to Kim Palm. Um. Ohio State at Indiana. Hooters getting three at home. Archie Miller said on Wednesday night, because I had done a story, done some reporting earlier in the season, Archie was adamant, adamant and optimistic that they he would have an 11-man rotation. And that's like, that's extremely hard to do. Like, if you're legitimately playing 11 dudes north of, you know, 10 minutes a game, and that means no one's getting more than 30. It's it's a super hard balance. But he wanted to do it, but now he's he's walking that back. He doesn't know if he can quite pull that off here. I'm going to – GP, like Indiana's uh, kind of a quirky team. Ohio State's slumping. I'm going to take the Hoosiers getting three here at home. It feels like a game that's going to be decided in the final 20, 25 seconds. I'll take Ohio State minus the three, um, but obviously they, they are slumping. They have gone from – um, you know, being, uh, according to the computers, the best team in the country to something less than that now on a three-game losing streak. And Indiana, most recently, you know, they got into a fight with Northwestern at Assembly Hall, which was not supposed to happen. They're not, a liter- not a, just to be clear, not an actual fight, but I know what you're saying. It was an actual fight. Oh, they just okay. did I, must have, I must have missed that video. Okay. Yes, it was actual fight. They got an actual fight with Northwestern. They're, they're twelve and three right now. They've got that win over Florida State at home, but lost to Arkansas at home, and like I said, struggled with Northwestern 
at home on Wednesday night. Here's something that's interesting. I went back and looked at Archie's Dayton teams. His last four teams at Dayton finished 42nd, 42nd, 59th, and 39th at Ken Palm. And his first three teams at Indiana, 71st, 52nd, and the one right now is currently 43rd. He had better teams one way or another at at Dayton than he's, at least arguably, had better teams at Dayton than he has had at Indiana so far. But if you're looking for a positive um, at Indiana, they do seem to be getting better every year, even if they're not as good as any Indiana fan wants them to be. Uh, First year, 71st, second year, 52nd, right now, 43rd. So trending in the right direction. We'll see if they keep it going. But I got Ohio State minus three. You got Indiana plus three. Saturday, 1 p.m. Eastern, number four, Baylor at number three, Kansas, inside Allen Fieldhouse. You can watch it on CBS. That's America's most watched network. It's the network of stars. Kansas minus nine, according to Ken Pomp. That's a big number. So um, we obviously don't have the real line. My guess when this goes up is going to be Kansas minus six and a half. Um, But we will play off the nine number here. A couple notes quickly on Baylor, um, has never won at Fog Allen Fieldhouse in school history, 0-17, is 0-24 lifetime on the road against top five teams, and Kansas is a top five team this season, and this will be Baylor's fourth time being involved in a top five matchup wherein it was ranked in the top five in the AP poll and its opponent was ranked in the top five in the AP poll. It's 0-3 in those games, so it's looking to... uh, to legitimize itself, I think, as an elite team within the context of this season and a win at Kansas would certainly do that. And also put Baylor on a just firm, secure track to a one seed. This is – see, Kansas is going to get its return down in Waco, and we'll see what happens in that down down the road here. But uh, Baylor, if it was able to get an outright win here, um, that's the kind of like real headline-grabbing big story off the weekend. I would think, you know, barring anything outrageous, that would be maybe even what we'd lead the Sunday night podcast with. So I will take – the Bears, Jared Butler's their star, about 16 and a half a game. Um, really good defense. Kansas's defense ranks a little bit better. I will take the Bears to cover nine. If it was six and a half, I might will vacillate a little bit more. But I will definitely take the Jayhawks to continue to win uh, yet again and and you know keep Baylor with a bagel in the W column at the Fog. Yeah, if we're playing with a nine-point spread, I'll take Baylor plus nine as, as well. But I do think when the when the number's actually posted, um, it'll be slightly smaller than that. By the way, shouts to at 402 Donnie on Twitter. He sent us the updated Scott Drew, Bill Self, Allen Fieldhouse results. It turns out that Bill Self has lost 13 times at Allen Fieldhouse. He's been the coach there since 2003. He's lost 13 times inside Allen Fieldhouse, and Scott Drew has lost 12 times inside Allen Fieldhouse. <laughs> could, even get even, could get even on it, Saturday. It could even So if Kansas wins Saturday, Scott and Bill will once again have the same number of losses inside Allen Fieldhouse. So uh, we'll, keep a, we'll keep an eye on that for sure. Saturday, 4 p.m. Eastern, Syracuse at number 18, Virginia, inside John Paul Jones Arena. You can watch it on ESPN. Virginia minus seven, according to Ken Palm. And I only bring this up because I want to talk about Syracuse a little bit because we haven't really done that at all this season. But they're, like, legit not good. And you don't (laughs) – what? Yes, I know. I was like, why are we doing this game? (laughs) Because, like, do you – are you – 
I don't know why more people like everybody talks about like on TV last night. It's it's constantly man North Carolina struggling, man North Carolina. It's like why do people talk about Syracuse struggling? Syracuse is a big brand with a Hall of Fame coach. Syracuse is struggling too. All right, so it's time to shit on Syracuse. Okay, let's, <laughs> let's, let's do it then. Okay, so let me let me pull my drawers down. <laughs> They've lost two straight at home to Notre Dame and Virginia Tech. Buddy Beheim, by the way, second on the team in field goal attempts. I'll let you make of that what you want. Um, this might be the worst Syracuse team Jim Beheim's ever coached. And he's been the coach at Syracuse since 1976. I wasn't even alive in 1976. Um, it, it, yeah, no, it might be. I just mentioned, you probably have already forgotten this, but I mentioned it like uh, 12 minutes ago. Jim Beheim has never finished a season below 500 in his career at Syracuse. So that is in danger here going, I mean, I was at the season opener in which Virginia went to Syracuse and won 48-34, and Jim Beheim made headlines because he was not happy whatsoever with having to play not only a conference game, but a conference game against the reigning national champions and a coach like Tony Bennett, and now Syracuse on the return trip. This, I'm surprised it's only seven here. Now, Virginia's offense is just terrible, and... I actually, as we record this here, I'll be transparent. I did not get the latest on the Braxton Key situation because he went down late in Virginia's loss Tuesday night against Boston College. Um, so without him uh, being available, that you know impacts Virginia's offense even more. He's already had a wrist injury earlier this season. Um, but you're right. Syracuse is down. It's way down. It's not even in the conversation to be an NIT hopeful at this point. And now three of its next four come on the road. Virginia, home to BC, at Virginia Tech, at Notre Dame. So, yes, it can definitely get uh, a lot worse before it gets a lot better. And here's the thing. Like, it's not just that it's bad now. Like, like Roy has a bad team right now, but he had a number one seed in the NCAA tournament last season. You know, Syracuse has lost at least 13 games in five straight seasons. And seems like it's on, like, there's no way they're not going to do it again this season. So it's going to be six straight seasons of at least 13 losses. They've got that fluky Final Four in 2016 after going 9-9 nine and nine in the ACC. And then they made a Sweet 16 in 2018 after going 8-10 and 10 in the ACC. So I think that has sort of masked it a little bit, like makes it look a little bit. Because you're like, oh, they went to the Final Four and, oh, they were in the Sweet 16. But they were not good in those years either. My point being, they've been trending downward for a little while. Now Jim's 75 years old. It just looks like, um, we don't have to say anything more about it, but it just looks like he's headed for a rough end of the career situation where maybe right now it doesn't look like Mike Krzyzewski is. And it doesn't look like Roy Williams is, by the way. They've got the number three recruiting class in America yeah. uh, signed right now with three five stars. North Carolina is going to reload really quickly. Duke is still Duke, as my friend and colleague uh, Pete Gillen uh, yeah. famously said. But uh, Syracuse, I, it's not just that they're bad now. It's that they've been trending this direction, and I don't really have a, too many great reasons to think it's going to get much better going forward. All right, I will take Virginia minus seven here uh, with a solid amount of confidence. Are you with me? Yeah, I'm going to take Virginia minus seven. They'll probably win the game like 21 to 10. But Virginia wins the game. 21 to 10. I'll even give you 31 to 26. We're starting the podcast on Sunday with that. If the over under doesn't crack 60 total points. Do, do you do you realize we have probably never been closer 
to Virginia winning a game 31 to 10 in our life than we are right now because uh, they are yes. they are literally the best defensive team in America and one of the absolute worst offensive teams in America. The terror it's just it's vexing. They are and uh, yeah, they're like they're like post rock for college basketball. I don't even get it. All right, what's your fourth game? Saturday 4 p.m. Eastern. Marquette at Seton Hall inside the Prudential Center. You can watch it on CBS Sports Network. I'll be on sideline duty inside the Prudential Center. Seton Hall minus seven, according to Ken Palm. Terrific little game here. Um, look forward to seeing you there. And, yeah, this is a, this is a good one. Marquette has been um, weird as of late. It lost in overtime in a really like entertaining game on Tuesday night against Providence, which is yet to take an L in league play. Um, Marcus Howard is the leading scorer in America. I think he's at 20, um, 26 and a half. I looked at it yesterday. I think he's at 26.5 per game. Uh, Marquette did win uh, definitively last weekend against Villanova, a, a big-time win, and they were coming off a rough, like, non-competitive loss against Creighton there. So a little bit wobbly for the Golden Eagles after um, – a good, not great showing in non-conference play. They only dropped two games, but the games were at Wisconsin and against Maryland, which were two of the three best teams that they faced. Seton Hall got back into the power rankings this week, number 17. Miles Powell has been uh, terrific. Seton Hall has operated like a top 12 uh, defense and a top six offense in its, its six-game winning streak, which includes wins over Maryland, Georgetown, uh, and Xavier, and even at DePaul. And so now we got a good one here. Seton Hall at home. You remember, it gave away that great opportunity earlier in the season against Michigan State. I don't think that's going to happen here. I will take the Hall to win it, but this just feels close. It doesn't feel like it's the seven-point difference that Pomeroy projects it out to be. So I will take Marquette to cover the seven. Okay, I'll take Seton Hall minus the seven because my rule on games that I have to attend is I just go with the home team so I don't have to hear about it from anybody. Uh, that's a... Uh... That's a, I guess that's a fine reason. Okay, my game, fifth game. Um, I'm going to go. What do I want to go with here? I had a, you, the Syracuse thing has got me just totally twisted. Um, all right, we'll go with we'll go with the Sunday game on CBS. Michigan State at Purdue. It's a noon tip. Now again, we are recording this Thursday night here in advance of some of these results being finished because. Your boy's gonna try and get to bed early, and uh, me and my very much alive leg are gonna are gonna steal a, a ski day on Friday here. So we don't know what Michigan State will have done or Purdue, but regardless, Purdue is projected as a three-point dog on Sunday. CBS noon tip before the NFL games come. Mackey Arena, you know GP, it's gonna be bumping there. You gonna trust Sparty in a road spot to cover the three? I am going to trust Michigan State minus three on the road. Apologies to Jerry Palm and Julie Villanova. Okay. Well, you'll be uh, you'll be thrilled to know that we genuinely uh, split on this then because I do have Purdue uh, being able to cover. I think Purdue's going to win the game outright there. Now, Purdue is weird. Um, in that Purdue is weird. No, just it, it's been a, a metrics darling all season. It's lost six games already. As we record this, it's got a road game against Michigan. Could well lose that one as well to be 9-7. and seven. You know, that's – I don't know how good this team is. The Big Ten's so good that it's uh, – here's my projection on Purdue. I think that Purdue is going to wind up with something like 
19 total wins at the end of the Big Ten tournament you know, through, the, through the season. And they are going to, because the Big Ten's so good, they're going to have amassed so many quad one and quad two wins that they're going to have like 19 wins and still wind up with like an eight seed. I think that's ultimately where they're going to land. But I just find them to be uh, a bit interesting because the offense has plummeted without without our boy. Uh, it's 83rd this season. And with Carson Edwards last season, it was fourth in America, 122.5 adjusted offensive efficiency this season, all the way down to 104.9. That's a big problem. But I'll play a faith play there. I'll take Purdue to straight up beat Michigan State, and you'll take Sparty minus three. Yeah, they have only lost once at home, uh, Purdue, and that was to Texas a long time ago. Obviously, Texas now um, heading the wrong direction, having lost back-to-back games to Baylor and Oklahoma. So Michigan State-Purdue on CBS on Sunday. We have some breaking news as we're recording this podcast. Did you see this? Is it uh, the school in the Pacific Northwest? It is. Washington. Sophomore point guard Quade Green has been ruled academically ineligible, according to Percy Allen of the Seattle Times. Um, which is obviously like a big deal to to, to Washington. That, that you know, he's averaging eleven. You think whatever you want to think about him, he's averaging eleven point six um, points per game in thirty four point. Uh, let me make sure I got it right. Thirty point four minutes per game. So he's a he's a meaningful player. And I will tell you, it, it is incredible how a student athlete could become academic academically ineligible after you're already on campus. I mean, you are set up to succeed. I asked a college coach one time. If I hear about a, a, a student athlete getting ruled ineligible after he's already on campus, what should I assume? And the coach said, you should assume that he would not go to class. He just would not do any of the things that you ask him to do. Because there's so many study halls and tutors and yeah. everything available to them. Like it really is difficult to, to, to not your work done to the level that you need to get it done. And so I, I don't know the specifics of this. I want to be clear about that. Mm-hmm. But but generally speaking, um, somebody being ruled acad- academically ineligible after they've already been on campus, it's generally speaking, it's rooted in um, laziness or an unwillingness to do the work. Hey, yeah, I'll be quick with this. Also, since Washington, Pac-12 schools are on quarters, and so – he might not be, I don't know if this means he's done for the season or not because they don't go on semesters. So this might mean that he is ineligible until the next quarter begins, and I don't know what he'll have to do or if he's even able to get himself in good enough standing. But because of that – I've got the answer for you right here, you by do. the way. Okay. Um, they are on a quarter system. He's ineligible for the winter quarter that ends on March 13th. Okay. Now the question becomes can he – so that'll be to the end of the regular season and then around Pac-12 tournament time. Can he get himself back in good standing? And if Washington's in the tournament, can he get back in uniform? From a strictly on-the-court perspective, um, it feels like Washington does need him because Isaiah Stewart's a big down low. Jane McDaniels, you know, kind of a, a floating wing type. Nazia Carter's awesome and fun to watch, but he's not a ball handler. And so they don't have anyone that is positioned to really run that offense, at least from what we've seen outside of Quade Green. You take him out of the lineup there, we'll see how – that can impact uh, the Huskies here, who are 11-4, and four, can make the NCAA tournament. Um, I'd say they're probably tracking toward that now. Not like a, a, a surefire case, but 
Um, again, yet another team that is playing later tonight. Uh, they play against Stanford, and that's that's suddenly uh, that's a big time deal there. And oh, by the way, that's exactly why we have found out now because uh, they will schools will often hold that information until the last possible moment. We get it in advance of the Stanford game there, and so uh, and so on we go. But that is not insignificant news. We just have to wait and see if it if it winds up being the difference between Washington being an NCAA tournament team or one that goes to the NIT. Uh, remember, uh, Marquette and Seton Hall from the Prudential Center is Saturday on CBS Sports Network. It is part of a quadruple header, so make sure to check that out. Quadruple header on CBS Sports Network. I'll be on sideline for Marquette Seton Hall. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M. F. He's a legend. Shouts to Arnell. Please go subscribe to the Iowa College Basketball <laughs> Podcast via Apple Podcast. Rate it favorably. Five stars. Nice comments. We're going to talk to you again on Sunday night. Till then, take care. State of Combat podcast, the Brian Campbell. And while fight season may be on hold for the foreseeable future until Tony Ferguson and Habib Nurmagomedov touch gloves at UFC 249, the SOC is still moving along. Two to three episodes per week to give you that combat fix. What can you expect? The same great interviews with the biggest names in the fight game. Maybe a little bit of a fun oasis from the crazy world around you. Instant reactions to the biggest news stories. It's the SOC, available on Apple Pods, Stitcher, Spotify, and anywhere fine audio is found. Tell them BC sent you.